Welcome. You're listening to Other Day Podcast with me, Jodie Muta-Hamilton, the founder of Other Day. Today, I'm talking to Nina Brenner-Heltman, the CEO and founder of Cultmere. If you're longing to discover a beautifully curated selection of fashion by designers and artisans who are located in out-of-reach places, then Cultmere is your destination. How we feel and react when we discover something new to us can be extremely powerful. The feeling of surprise, anticipation, novelty and newness trigger the release of dopamine, which in turn makes us want to go exploring in search of a reward. So it's no wonder that discovery is a big topic for the fashion industry. It's what keeps us coming back to search for new editorial pieces or the latest drops from our favorite brands. And it means big business for online retail. But what if discovery wasn't just about capitalizing on that dopamine rush and discovery actually became the key to unlocking a decent living as a creative for a female entrepreneur or unknown designer in a far to reach location? It puts a different perspective on why discovery is such a big part of Cultmere. In this podcast, I find out all about Nina's inspiring family background, education and startup story. We hear about Nina's vision for Cultmere and find out all about the biggest challenges and opportunities ahead for her business, female entrepreneurs and designers operating in a global economy. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, I'm really intrigued at your background and kind of like around your family background and your educational background and how all these different melting pots have come together um, to ultimately, you know, form your business today. But I just want to find out a bit more about your journey today. Um, if you can, yeah, just open up and tell us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, just to introduce myself, my name is Nina Brenner-Helmond. Um, in terms of my family background, my family has always been quite international. I grew up between Mexico, Texas, and Switzerland, so I was a bit of a global nomad growing up. In Mexico, I felt American. In the U.S., I felt Mexican. But I always felt like I could adapt to anything and, and always had a you know, preference for environments that valued an international perspective. Um, my parents were actually quite successful in their respective fields, which I think subconsciously inspired me to make something of myself. My dad was originally a businessman and later became an investor. He joined the family business with my grandfather and went on to bring a few successful American businesses over to Mexico. Um, and my mother was one of the very first women in Mexico to complete a computer science degree. She went on to set up the computer systems for some of the biggest banks in Latin America. And I think, you know, her success as a woman in Mexico um, in her decade was something that I always found very, very inspiring. Um, I've now been a London resident over the past seven years. I'm excited after all of the moving around in my life to have put down some roots personally and professionally here. And can you just tell me a little bit more about um, like where you grew up particularly and was it, have you moved all over the world essentially or yeah, just. Yeah. So I, I was born in, in Texas, actually. My parents um, were both raised in Mexico and then they got married. And when they were looking to raise a family, 
Mexico in the 90s became a little bit more dangerous. Um, they were looking for a place where kids could freely run around in the streets. So they moved to LA first and then to Texas where I was born. And when I was 11, I actually went to boarding school in Switzerland, which sounds very far away for a Mexican-American family, but it was somewhat of a family tradition. My mom had done the same. Um, and then I ended up going to California from there. I went to Stanford University. I spent four years in Silicon Valley when I was doing my undergrad. Um, and, and Stanford really cemented the idea for me of being an entrepreneur it, it has an amazing environment where every student feels like they have the support and resources to be a founder. Um, and when I was 19, actually, I took my first stab at entrepreneurship. I worked on a food delivery business, which is now what Uber Eats or Deliveroo is. It didn't come to scale, but I think it was very clear to me very early on during uni that I really liked the entrepreneurial life. Um, but I also knew I had to learn a huge amount and I needed to learn um, key skills that I needed to develop to succeed in the future. Was there anything at that point that you were really drawn to, like, um, you know, in terms of emerging markets or um, developing markets, as we prefer to call it, um, or environmental issues or fashion or kind of because you're very business driven at that point and all your kind of educational focus was around that as well yeah yeah no that, that's a fair question so I ended up studying international political economy um, I was always very fascinated given my personal experience about how how the world came together um, from an economical and, and political standpoint. Fashion for me was was always a passion, but I never thought I would make a career in, in fashion. So it's, it's been very exciting to see how my journey has evolved and, and brought me to fashion specifically. Um, but at that point, you're right, I was much more, I would say, startup entrepreneurial focused, but I actually ended up joining the UN post-university. I worked in a team called Women in Trade, and we focused on scaling female-owned retail microenterprises in developing countries like Papua New Guinea. Um, but at the time, I felt like there was so, so much more that could be done for this growing segment of female entrepreneurs. Um, and this seed was planted for me in, in wanting to build on this mission. And in part, it led to my current business, Coltmia. And we, we now provide the platform to shop and support these types of independent brands locally, but from an international um, scale. So, yeah, so it was really seeded quite early on for you in a sense and, and kind of those helping others to reach a different audience or different platform. Um, can you just talk to me a bit about how now, um, so talk to me about Cult Mia and where you are today and how long it's been going and kind of all the products on there and the types of um, ways that you select things as well and, and kind of how you, yeah, choose what's on your platform. Amazing. Yeah. So, you know, to give you a little bit of background on where the idea came from, uh, I was doing my MBA at the London Business School uh, to actually change career paths to officially pursue entrepreneurship. And at the time I was working for Moda Brandi um, and I started to see Moda Brandi, by the way, is a luxury e-commerce marketplace. Um, and we, I started to see a few opportunities in the fashion e-commerce space. 
And I went through the LBS incubator and accelerator program, and I began testing ideas during my MBA. Um, And during this two-year break as an MBA student, I had time to fine-tune my startup idea, and I landed on Coltmia. Um, So from the 100 businesses that applied and after pitching to VC judges, Coltmia actually came out of the winning business of the accelerator program in May of 2019. Um, And this gave me a lot of reassurance that Coltmia had legs to grow. And I was excited by the challenge to build a business that was also inspired by my own experiences. Um, But I think the two key things I saw at Moda was first that the customer experience on online luxury platforms is very similar. And when you think about a true luxury experience, it should be unique and personalized to you. You should feel like what you're buying can only be found there and you're the first or the only one to have it. And existing luxury platforms don't provide that experience and you find the same designers with the same products. And and this wasn't meeting the customer need for unique fashion. So we started to see a huge demand for up and coming fashion designers at Moda. Emerging brands started to make it onto the sales leaderboards next to brands you'd expect to see, the luxury incumbents. These brands have a product that's as good as a luxury brand in terms of quality, but they have yet to be discovered. And the second problem that really kind of created the idea behind Coltmia was I saw that if you wanted to have a unique embellished hat or a distinctive piece of jewelry or a bespoke hand-beaded handbag, the only way was through an exorbitant price tag. So this is where Coltmia comes in. We connect designers to our global and very engaged audience who's seeking exactly what the designers offer from a values perspective, as much as the product that they sell. So customers can't easily engage with the brands that we list. Where would they find them? How could they trust their quality? And now with the pandemic, they can't even travel to shop them. Um, So in a short period, a year and a half now since we launched, we've been able to connect the independent fashion community globally. We've learned how to solve global logistics, ensuring that customers receive products from hard to reach places around the world quickly and in good shape. And we've onboarded 150 designers from 32 countries across 14 categories. I think, you know, this speaks to the agility of the platform and our ability to engage and support the the independent designers that we've been working with. Um, I know the second part of your question was how we actually select the brands that that we list on the platform. Um, And when it comes to selecting our brands, our, our curation comes from vetting the designers and also meeting our assortment criteria. So we care about operational excellence and finding the perfect product for our community in terms of price, quality, and exclusivity, but we equally care about meeting the values that our community and that we care about. And when we select brands, we look at meeting these assortment criteria. So we work really hard to support the brands that align with our key values. We have four key values. One is female empowerment. The second is sustainability, which is very topical for our chat today. The third is inclusivity. And the fourth is lifting up local communities in production. Two things that you touched upon there is is around like the values and kind of the discussion around sustainability and values and how potentially not valid sustainability as a word as a word is anymore and what that really means to different people um so your approach is around values which is fantastic um and I think that might be going forward in in the future a bit better way to kind of navigate what you want to be part of or what you believe in um because it's very difficult for all brands to tick all the boxes. Do you know what I mean? Particularly when they're small or they're emerging or 
whatever um, happens. And what's really interesting about your platform is actually a long time ago, uh, a dear friend of mine, Katya, and I used to talk about, um, you know, when you see in high street stores or any retailers, kind of like the rip-off product of something that's essentially um, culturally appropriated. Mm. And it would be like, I don't want that. I want the real one. And it was always so hard to find that real one without being in a in a country on holiday or visiting or whatever to get the real one. And that access point has just always been really missing. And I think that's what you guys bring in, isn't it? It's that access. It's that finding. It's the um, surfacing of these unique designs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've really hit the nail on the head because, you know, taking Mexico, my my country, for instance, when people think about shopping locally in Mexico, uh, they think of sombreros and ponchos. Um, and, you know, there's incredible products uh, that you would never guess are Mexican that are incredibly fashionable and chic and authentic that aren't culturally appropriating the mariachi tradition. Um, and I think that's very core to, to what we're trying to do and then to change the customer mindset on, on shopping locally and, and international places. But, you know, one of the kind of core personal experiences that led to me starting Quote Mia as well is whenever anyone in London asked me about what I was wearing, it was literally never about, you know, the high street shoes I'd found. Um, and it was always about my handcrafted suede feather embellished hat that I had picked up on the beach in Tulum. And I used to have to disappoint you and say, well, you need to travel to Tulum to get it. And now I can point you to Coltnia. Yeah. And and that's the exact point of your platform, isn't it? That connection piece. How how many designers did you say you've got on there? Like 150, was it? Yeah. That's so amazing. We've created 150 designers. Um, wow. And to give you, I guess, a feel for the breadth of our brand portfolio, 50% of our brands are handmade locally um 36 percent are sustainable 35 percent see female empowerment as key to their mission and this is something that we're kind of monitoring very closely and actually in three weeks time we're we're launching cult causes um and this is taking this value shopping one step further so this will give customers the opportunity to shop based on the values that we and they care about that I was just mentioning and you'll be able to filter through the brands and products that resonate most with you from a values perspective which is something we're really excited to launch. That's brilliant. I've um, in previous people or previous companies that I've been consulting at, it's we've talked about could you do a values filter? Mm. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like based around organic cotton, for example, filter that, you know, could you have a drop down on female empowerment? You know, that would be fantastic. And then just shop all the brands from there, you know, and it's kind of a different mindset of shopping. It's less product driven, but more intrinsically about your core self and value isn't it really which mm-hmm. I'll be really excited to see that when it comes out um how, how have you found um I mean this is a pretty big question but like how have you found the pandemic and, and all the different brands that you work with because I know from speaking to um you know a lady who owns Nanakai I don't know if you know those mm-hmm. um and you know brands like that have felt felt the pain really badly um because it's very difficult to bounce back and um yeah how's that been for you 
So I think it's been a really interesting time for us in, in two different ways. So as a platform, as a new platform, last year was our first real year of business in the pandemic, lucky us. Um, but it gave us the opportunity to reach out to brands that might not have picked up the phone to a new platform because like you said, you know, they were struggling. They were looking for new sales channels. They were looking for new opportunities to reach new customers and new markets. And we really, you know, were able to grow quickly because we have quite a capital light rapid scale marketplace model in place. So we don't buy or hold any inventory from our brand partners. So for brands, there's literally no risk in working with us. They send us their imagery, they send us the descriptions and we list their products. If they don't sell, no harm is done. But if they do, a lot of platforms actually ask for them to either send them inventory or set inventory aside for them, which means if the platform doesn't sell for them, they lose out on selling the inventory themselves. Um, what our brand partners also really liked last year during the pandemic was that we never hold any markdowns. Um, we really care about, you know, making sure that we're protecting our, our brand's value, um, but also we're trying to kind of not promote um, mindless consumption and, and go on crazy sales like a lot of places. Mm -hmm. You'll see everything is on sale. Um, as a platform itself, it's it's also been interesting because we really got to test the agility of our business model. Like, you know, it's, it's very easy to say we have a very agile business model, but the pandemic really put that to the test. So right before the outbreak of COVID in March of last year, we were going to release a wedding guest edit. So we had long dresses, um, fine jewelry coming, everything you can imagine for uh, evening out. And mm. the, the pandemic started and we went into lockdown and we ended up dropping homeware, loungewear, activewear, even some men's to meet the new normal and, and to be able to meet the new customer demand. Uh, within five days, we were able to mm. completely pivot our assortment. Um, I think, you know, it, that speaks to the agility of the business, but it also speaks to the fact that we don't follow the fashion calendar like a lot of fashion businesses do. Um, we, we follow customer appetite and customer need. How do you track that appetite and need? Because I know you've got quite a lot of um, kind of back-end data and things that you pull and assess and kind of, you know, your personal approach as well is quite analytical as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. How, do you, how do you know what people want? So I would say our community is our most powerful brand sourcing partner. Um, so basically, before we introduce any brand on the website, we vet it with our community so that our customers feel like they have the power to influence the brands and products that they shop with us. So what does that mean practically? We do a lot of customer feedback and testing. Um, so on social media, we're always posting what do you think of this brand? What do you think of this product? We're getting the feedback. And for the brands that have great engagement, they end up on the platform. Um, in terms of picking up on, on customer need and, and changing customer needs quickly, that's something that the, the team is really keeping an eye on. Um, and as much as you want to forecast what's going to be trendy and cool in six months, um, all of a sudden an influencer wears some kind of scrunchie and it's breaking the internet. Um, and I think it's us right now, it's about kind of keeping our eyes peeled and being able to action um, and find brands that meet those exciting trends or changing needs within the week. I think it's really interesting what you've said about the, the kind of power of the influencers as well, because um, 
briefly mentioned when we weren't recording um, about the work that we're doing at Lab 2030, and and we've started to think about um, kind of early interventions in in places like influencers. Um, but one thing actually that I'm interested to hear how you feel is um, Instagram in general. So something's bobbling at the minute, which is essentially brands considering, I know Bottega did a while ago, come off social media in the back on or whatever, but perhaps like forming communities away from Instagram as well, because um, perhaps Instagram as a business doesn't align with your own values. Like, um, and I don't know if you follow Slow Factory at all, but, you know, more um, politically active kind of platforms as well aren't given a voice or, you know, perhaps have their accounts hacked and all these things. So it's, I think there's beginning to be a discussion around moving away from particularly Instagram or social media and controlling that yourself. And like, you know, my personal point is like maybe we drive the power of the newsletter a bit more or something you know mm -hmm. that we can control a bit more so how do you feel about social Absolutely. platforms and community I think you know I think community is incredibly powerful for a business so it's something that we have to really figure out the best way to keep growing the community that's that's engaging for for customers I, I actually really agree with you. I think we actually just raised our first investment round and, and one of the main application of funds is going to be developing our own app. And I think our community activations and our, our community kind of data mining will start to take place more and more on our own app. Uh -huh. I do think like I ha we have to be realistic as a new business. It's going to take some time before we can shift everyone's attention off of a platform that they already spend a lot of time using, which is Instagram, right? Um, and getting them the same number of um, users on our own app will take time. So I think there'll be kind of a phase out period mm -hmm. where the focus will kind of start to shift to our own app and shift away from social media. But I think it's something that can't happen overnight, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I think from a business point of view, though, as well, it makes sense to like have your own app, you know, um, a, a while ago, I discussed with businesses, like, will we end up just having websites or apps? Or will we always have both? Or, you know, I think actually, potentially just having an app is quite interesting in itself and kind of a more curated, not you know, 50 million products on something uh, is quite an interesting concept. And also, um, it's like the difference between you driving your own business destiny, and then someone else harnessing it and being in control of it I find a bit with social media you know I also think you know when you think about your customer and then your social media audience there's always going to be a bit of a disconnect mm. because you have so many aspirational followers especially the more luxury your price point is you'll you'll tend to find you have a lot of aspirational followers mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily shopping with you yet so you might be getting feedback from a community that isn't exactly matching who your customer is and I think you have to be quite careful with that definitely I think that's a really key point actually I think um the conversion from Instagram to like sales they're not always the same people or you know mm -hmm. um and actually a lot of the people who have disposable income probably aren't even on Instagram you know <laughs> so it's, yeah yeah it's Absolutely. interesting to consider those overlaps or links through on and kind of how you manage keeping track of those, I find quite fascinating. Um, yeah. Is, is there anything you'd like to talk to me a bit more about or expand on? Like what's next for you guys particularly as well? 
Yeah. So I, I think something interesting that we've kind of touched on is if, you know, customers are looking to shop more sustainably specifically. Um, and I can tell you a little bit about what we've seen um, in terms of shopping habits and, and sustainable mm-hmm. preferences. Um, I would say that the, the key finding is that on a values level, everyone wants to shop more sustainably. However, the product has to be cool enough and the price mm-hmm. has to be in line with your expectations. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, those sales don't convert. Um, but what we found really, really interesting is a quarter of our brands work with demand-led inventory models. Um, so I think this is a very interesting way to work with designers on in a more slow fashion, sustainable manner. And the top three performing brands on our website, both in terms of sales and social engagements last year, were made-to-order brands. Um, and I think that the interesting finding here is that we found that customers are willing to wait for the unique, for bespoke pieces. They're not deterred by slightly longer lead times um, if something is unique enough, but they actively prefer to shop brands and pieces from our sustainable made-to-order edit. That's amazing. That's really good to hear. <laughs> yeah. I did a um, IG live with uh, the founder of SN, the label. I don't know if you, the shoe brand. They're actually um, swapped with us. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're lovely. Um, yeah, really lovely brand. And kind of we were talking about the on-demand um, business model and, and how that, how customers perceive waiting or don't. And I think there's, it's almost like trying to work out what that tipping point of wait is acceptable. Like mm-hmm. is six weeks is kind of okay maybe three months you might forget about it and maybe that's too long so it's interesting to understand at what point is acceptable and what point is not you know um yeah I think you know there's a little bit of a contradiction because you know there's a challenge in keeping logistics seamless shipping costs as low as possible but meeting these customer fulfillment expectations and when we think about how quickly customers want to receive orders, but that they also want to shop more sustainably, mm. we find it to be a bit of a contradiction. Um, but I guess the one reassuring point that we're seeing is, is what I just mentioned, that customers are willing to take a step towards sustainable fashion or slow fashion when the product is unique enough. Mm. And we hope that that's exactly what we're offering at Coldmia. Yeah. Lovely. What's next for you guys? And so you've said your app, is that your key focus at the moment? What's next for us? Uh, so we just closed our, our fundraise and I, I look at last year as our MVP year in a way. And we were really focused on the demand side of the, the, sorry, the supply side of the business. So we were really focused on building our network of brands. And this year is all about the customer. It's all about making the customer experience more personalized. The app comes into that. It's about making um, the community meet each other and and hopefully figuring out ways to bring not just the community of customers, but the community of brands and customers together, hopefully in person at some point, um, and start to kind of connect all of the dots with the network that we're building. That would be amazing and so itching to have like you know, those kind of in-person events and really speak to people and kind of, um, yeah, touch and see and feel fashion again as well, I think it's really important. Um, but in quite a different way, you know, it's it's more considered if we're purchasing, I feel a lot more considered about things. Um, I mean, I was never a big, big shopper in that sense anyway, but yeah, 
I think mm. generally we're, we're relishing experience as well over product. Um, and I think that, that sort of experience economy is going to become even more powerful and prevalent, isn't it? Um, which I'm sure, sure you're looking into anyway. Have there, have there been any particular challenges with your platform or product or anything that you found in developing Cultmere? So, you know, I think what's interesting in terms of challenges, the, the question I get more specifically is around, you know, being a female entrepreneur, my whole team, we're all women, and we tend to work with predominantly female artisans as well. And um, I think we know, you know, the number of female entrepreneurs is on the rise, but we also know that female founders still face quite a few challenges in their day to day. I think what's really exciting to communicate from my side and in my personal experience is that I truly believe there's never been a better time to be a female founder. Um, and I think I'm very fortunate in that I've never felt that being a woman in business has held me back in any way. My manager at UBS was a highly successful Lebanese woman and mother of three who I sat next to for three years when I worked in investment banking. And I guess the message I'd like to get across to female founders and female artisans is that, you know, don't think it's an insurmountable barrier, but you have to work hard to get to where you want to be regardless of your gender. Um, for, you know, for female artisans in developing markets, global connectivity is increasing. And I think, you know, there's a real desire behind the modern customer to support the rising star, the underdog. Um, and the pandemic has taught us to want to support local small businesses. And we're, we're offering the opportunity to do this at an international scale. Um, I think the challenge as a platform is, you know, the point that we keep coming back to is meeting customer needs, but wanting to do things hopefully that in a way that aligns with our values and, you know, making sure that the logistics we offer lead to the best customer experience, but don't compromise on those values. So I think in the next year, our biggest challenges as a platform is as we come to scale, not losing sight of our values and, and making sure they stay at the forefront of, of our business strategy and growth. Amazing. I think as well, like, you know, looking ahead to the future I can kind of see there will be part of your business that becomes around supporting um female entrepreneurs in a different sort of way as well so at the moment it's um you know product-led and kind of sales but the, there's probably something else bubbling later in life that's around helping them with their business skills and all that sort of things as well if that's what they need you know or not I, I think that's very true. And it's something that I personally care a lot about. And being in London specifically, I think they're great formal networks that have been set up to champion female founders. Um, and there's a lot of support on a more informal level. I, I can't tell you how many WhatsApp groups I'm in with the title of female founders that are there to support you. But, you know, I, I think that that's true operating a business in London. I, I can't speak for starting a business somewhere else in the world. And I think a lot of the skills and kind of privileges we have in, in starting a business in London should be shared with other founders in other places. And, and hopefully I can kind of spread that information and then help in a more meaningful way in the future. Yeah, I think you will. Yep. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and it gave you some energy to turn thought into action. 
If you have a moment, please do rate and review the show on iTunes. We'd also love to carry on the conversation online, so make sure you check us out on Instagram at otherday underscore world and online at otherday.co.uk. Thank you.